All right, so good morning, everyone. We're going to start the Board of Supervisors meeting for February 7th, 2023. It's now in session. Speakers joining the meeting via teleconferencing. Please unmute your microphone. Will the clerk please call the roll? Supervisor Halbert? Present. Supervisor Valle? Excused. Supervisor Tam? Excused. Supervisor Carson? Present. President Miley? Here. Okay, have a quorum. So we will now have the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So we are conducting the Board of Supervisors meeting via teleconference in response to the state of emergency arising from COVID-19 pandemic to provide social distancing and to protect the health and safety of the public and our valued employees. The board chamber is open to the public at reduced capacity. The County of Alameda recognizes the important and invaluable role of public participation in government. Be reminded that disruptive conduct that renders orderly conduct of the meeting unfeasible will not be tolerated. This includes disruptive conduct that may occur through public comment. The chair will order the removal of individuals who are woefully disrupting the meeting so that the meeting may continue in an orderly manner. For those attending the meeting in person, if you would like to speak to an item on the agenda or during public input, please submit a speaker card so your name can be called to speak at the appropriate place on the agenda. The clerk will now provide brief instructions on how to participate in public comment on, uh, through online teleconferencing. Mm -hmm. Detailed instructions are provided in the teleconferencing guidelines. A link to the document is included in today's agenda. If you're joining the meeting using a computer, Use the button at the bottom of your screen to raise your hand to request to speak. When called to speak, please unmute your microphone and state your name. If you're calling in, dial star nine to raise your hand to speak. When you're called to speak, the host will enable you to speak. If you decide not to speak, notify the clerk when your call is unmuted, or you may simply hang up and dial back into the meeting. As a reminder, you may always just observe the meeting without participating by clicking on the View Now link on the county's webpage at acgov.org. When called, you have two minutes to speak, Please limit your remarks to the time allocated. Public comment will generally alternate between in-person and online speakers as determined by the president of the board and subject to overall time limits. Thank you. We will now take public comment on items on the agenda, except for items listed at 11 o'clock as a set matter and items two through 57. We're not taking comment on items two through 57 because those items were items that were in, uh, in part of our mass motion at our January 24th meeting, which was, I had to recess due to disruptive behavior in the chambers. We weren't able to continue conducting the meeting, but we did get through uh, the consent calendar and some other items, but items two through 57 were in the mass motion and we weren't able to get to those, but we had public comment on those already. So there's not public comment today on items 2 through 57 on today's agenda. 
So um, if the uh, clerk would call speakers uh, for comments on items that are not the said items or items 2 through 57. Oh, and and we, will, we will take public comment up until 1030 and uh, because then we have to go to close, closed session. Yes. May I just make one statement for clarification for the record? Um, the items 2 through 57, the, at the last meeting, the board continued that meeting to today's date to occur coterminous with this meeting. And so I just want to make it clear that this is a continued, um, the continuation of that meeting where public comment was closed already and everyone had the opportunity to speak on items 2 through 57. Thank okay. you. Thank you, County Council, for providing additional clarification. All right, so if we could have uh, speakers, and as I said, we'll, we'll take speakers up until 10.30, then we need to go to closed session to take up an item uh, so we can come back at 11 for the set matter. Okay, we have speakers in person and online. Okay. In the room, Steve Dalmaso. Please state the item that you're speaking on. Good evening. Steve Dolmasso with Bay City's Produce Company. First thing I'd like to say is I, I'm so proud to be part of this county. My family has been here 75 years. You folks have stood with us, been there. Last couple of years, pretty hard times. We had COVID. We had recession. You folks came to the rescue. Coupled up with Food Bank, the USGA, we fed millions of people. And I was proud to be a part of that. Excellent extension of that, we got to meet Ronnie Forbes, One Nation Dream Makers, uh, Hillary Bass, the Dig Deep, and we fed millions more. And now you went the extra mile to take care of the folks in Livermore with the warming center. <laughs> what a marvelous gift. Freezing cold, worst rain in history. And you sheltered him. Ronnie did most of this on his own with his family. Little help, but he made it happen. You have an infrastructure out there. We have the blankets. You have the pillows. You have the coffee makers. We need a little more funding to keep this thing going for a couple months. Me and the wife have got to know Ronnie and his family for quite some time, and we've become close. I'm here to make a commitment. My wife and I have written a check. I'd like to give to whoever. Maybe I'll give it to Ronnie for $1,000 personally for me and my wife. There's another commitment. I'd like to throw a challenge out there. The wife told me that we ought to go out and help personally. Me and the wife will donate a day a week to help boots on the ground. Serve the coffee, clean the bathrooms, do whatever it takes. We will make that commitment. And if we could have everyone in this room doing the same thing, maybe we wouldn't need the funding. Thank you, folks. Bonnie Wolf, you're on the line. Yeah, it's meant to speak. Bonnie Wolf, you're on the line. You have two minutes Good to speak. Good morning. 
Yes, good morning, Honorable Board of Supervisors and County Leadership Staff. I am Bonnie Wolf, Alameda Point Collaborative's Project Director for the Alameda Wellness Campus. I want to express my appreciation for your stellar support and ask for your approval for item 71 capital funding for the project. Thank you to leadership staff for producing an agreement quickly that advances direction given by the Board of Supervisors and meets the needs of the project. The county was an initial planning and funding partner from the moment we toured this beautiful site next to Alameda's Crab Cove Beach and recognized the unique opportunity to create a healing and dignified environment for the most medically vulnerable um, unhoused adults in our county. We are delighted for the county to consider today finalizing our capital campaign to create, to, to provide a one-time investment to realize significant long-term impacts. Thank you. In the room, Ronnie Forbes, please state the item that you're speaking on. I'm speaking on item number 78. First, giving honor to God, President Miley, Vice President Halbert, Supervisor Carson, Supervisor Valle, and Supervisor Tam, I am humbled to stand before you today, not as the Livermore VFW commander, not as an Alameda County Veterans Commissioner, but as the Executive Director of One Nation Dreammakers, who was formerly homeless, formerly incarcerated, and formerly addicted to both drugs and alcohol. Once I was released from Santa Rita Jail in 2016, I was blessed with a support group to assist God in his efforts to help me change my life. Now it's time to pay it forward. The Livermore Warming Center is God's agape house of love. We find a need and fill it, find a problem and solve it, and we find a hurt and heal it. We are merely God's hands and feet to help hope restored, an acronym for hope that Steve Del Masso shared with me is help other people every day. We need your help financially to further this mission where God guides, he provides. Please join us in the provision of changing lives. I enlisted in the, US, the United States Army to serve my country. Now as a veteran, I am enlisted in God's army to serve my community. God bless you all and thank you all for your time and your support. Just a minute, um, Supervisor Howard. Uh, in support of the two previous, uh, a few of the previous speakers, I just want to point out, we have all received letters, and I'd like to just make sure, I know I have them, from uh, letters of support. Livermore Mayor John Marchand, City Serve of the Tri-Valley, Alameda County Community Food Bank, Executive Director Reggie Young, Camp Parks Commander Colonel uh, uh, Matras, Christian World, John Sensaba, outstanding community member in the Tri-Valley, Alan Burnham, same thing, Pastor Brent Locker, and Ken Mano from the Community of Character in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. These and other letters are part of our record uh, incorporated because I've received them. I think we've all received them. I think the clerk has received them. I just would like to point out all of these individuals have also supported the public comments today. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Thank you. If I may. 
can we just make sure that the clerk has copies of all of the um, letters that have been identified? So if you could make sure you collect them. Thank you. Cecilia, you're on the line. You have two minutes to speak. Good morning, Speaker Cecilia Benucci. I'm speaking on item 75, except uh, 11826000 some odd dollars from the California Department of Public Health, the majority of it going to COVID-19 immunization programs. The problem here is that COVID shots definitively do not confer immunity. This is not only self-evident, it was admitted by Pfizer in front of the European Union panel on October 10th, 2022. Rob Roos, the Dutch member of parliament, asked Pfizer rep Janine Small if, quote, vaccine, their vaccine was tested on stopping the transmission of the virus, end quote. The answer that Small gave was no. Then, two days later, October 12, 2022, another Pfizer spokesperson, Andrew Widger, told PolitiFact that, quote, stopping transmission was not a study endpoint, end quote. In other words, Pfizer never studied to see if their COVID vaccines could block transmission. In other words, they don't immunize people. So how can you have an immunization program that doesn't immunize people? That's the question. As far as the California Department of Public Health money for COVID-9 immunization, <clears throat> shots which do not confer immunity are also presented as safe and effective to even pregnant and nursing women for which no safety study was ever proven. It was never proven safe for pregnant and nursing women. And there is sufficient evidence to show absolutely it is not safe for pregnant and nursing women. Thank you. In the room, Jean Moses, please state the item that you're speaking on. Good morning, supervisors. Um, thank you very much for meeting today. I am speaking on item 98. My name is Jean Moses. I am a member of Faith in Action East Bay and the Interfaith Coalition for Justice in Our Jails. I live in District 3. I voted for Lena Tam, and I'm looking forward for her success to succeed in her own way in the difficult task of filling Wilma Chan's shoes. First, I want to say that I'm very glad that Yesenia Sanchez is our sheriff. I admire her and am optimistic that significant improvements in the conditions in the jail and in reentry will be achieved under her leadership. Sheriff Sanchez is also 1,000% more accessible to the public than her predecessor. I support providing the Alameda County Sheriff's Office with adequate resources and therefore support approving off-highway motor vehicle agreement in item 98. However, it is clear that the staffing and the use of the staff at Santa Rita Jail is not adequate. Perhaps problems lie more with the behavioral health staffing, which apparently relies heavily on contract workers. Perhaps there are problems with intake procedures or with oversight of housing six, where people who are newly booked are housed for COVID quarantine. 
People in the community, and especially the families of Stephen Lofton and Charles Johnson, want to know what went wrong with ACSO care of these men. Why did they die? And what changes in staffing and procedures are being put in place to make sure that the death toll in our jail stops mounting? We appreciate that Sheriff Sanchez provides more information on these two men promptly than a predecessor. However, we want to see evidence that the jail staff are le learning from these horrific experiences and working diligently and intelligently to stop the deaths in Santa Rita Jail. We want evidence that a thorough investigation of each is being made, and we want to know what changes are being implemented to stop the deaths. Thank you. Catherine, you're on the line. You have two minutes to speak. Please state the item you're speaking on. Morning. I am speaking on item 75, specifically to section two of that uh, item. And I wanted to let you all know that I sent over a document yesterday called Pfizer Document Analysis Reports. Um, and basically, it goes into the 55,000 pages that was uh, that Pfizer was forced to produce due to a lawsuit that they wanted to keep hidden for 75 years. Um, and for good reason, it pretty much exposes all of the damages that the Pfizer vaccines are causing. And by providing it to you, I recommend you read it before you put the amount of $4,241,000 into the public system here to distribute round three of this vaccine. Uh, this vaccine is a killing machine. It kills human beings. And that the fact that you guys are sanctioning this to go out into the public and and people are reporting a whole myriad of, of problems with it is astounding to me, especially now that you have these articles and these, these studies in front of you. CNN basically talks about how Walensky pulls back on the vaccine, Walensky from the CDC said she over, they overplayed their hand. The vaccine doesn't stop transmission. It doesn't stop infection. And in fact, it is harming people. So I hope that you sit down with this 430 page report that basically should provide you with the absolute reason to never employ any amount of money toward distributing these injections. Thank you. We have no more speakers. All right, I wanna thank the speakers and I neglected to mention that on today's agenda, items 116 and 117, uh, we'll be taking comments on those items later too, if, uh, if as uh, indicated, those informational items uh, we have time to get to but we'll, we will have public comment on those items at that time. Okay, so um, what I'd like to do now is if we could have a motion on the January 6th special meeting minutes. Move approval of the January 26th special meeting minutes. Second. Okay, it's been moved by Supervisor Albert and second by Supervisor Carson. 
Um, if there's no board comments or questions mm -hmm. on the minutes, can we have the roll call? Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam, excused. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Okay. So we're going to keep keep going for a bit here. So what I'd like to go and take up <coughs> items or, uh, two through 57. I may have a, so we had a, a motion on, so we need a new mass motion on items two through 57. <coughs> yes, just one second. And remember, items two through 57 were continued from our January 24th meeting. I think you need to just restate the motion. Um, President Miley, I'd like to move these items, which were from the January previous meeting. These are items two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, and 57. Is there a second? Second. Okay, so the mass motion has been made uh, by Supervisor Halbert and second by Supervisor Carson on items Super. 2 through 57. But, right, so there's some four-fifth items that need to be excluded from the motion. Can we take those out? Twenty, twenty-one, twenty-three, twenty-five, twenty-six, thirty-three, thirty-four, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-nine, fifty-four, and fifty-seven. Oh, okay, so you went so fast I couldn't get those. Could you go through that again? No. Sure. Uh, items 10, 11, 12, 13, 16, 18, 20, 21, 23, 25, 26, 33, 34, 42, 43, 44, 49, 54, and 57. So those are items that were included in the motion that require a four-fifths vote. Right, so we, we're going to exclude those items, and uh, if that's okay with the maker of the motion, yes, in a second, and we'll take up those four fifth items when we have another supervisor joining us. I believe Supervisor 
um, Pam will be joining us at, uh, after, uh, around 11 o'clock. So when we come back from closed session, we'll take up those items. So if, uh, any comments from supervisors on the items that are in the mass motion? Okay, if there are no questions, if the clerk would call the roll on these items that Super were in this mass motion. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam, excused. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. <coughs> All right, so I think try to manage this, I guess at this point, we'll, we'll recess into closed session at this point, and then we will be back uh, prior to 11 o'clock to begin uh, the set items, and hopefully to have four-fifths, so we can take up the four-fifths items and take up the rest of the items on the agenda today. So we're gonna recess. Recording stopped. All right, board's back from closed session. And well, we will be going recessing back into closed session. So there's, at the moment, nothing to report out. Does the uh, clerk want to take the roll? Hmm. Supervisor Halbert? Present. Supervisor Valle? Excuse. Supervisor Tam? Present. Supervisor Carson? Present. President Miley. Present. Yep, you have a quorum. All right. Okay. So I know it's a little little confusing today because we had items that were carried over or continued from our January twenty fourth meeting. And earlier today we passed the items that didn't require a fourth fifth vote from the January twenty fourth meeting. 
So now I'm going to ask for a motion on the items, the four-fifth four items uh, from the January 24th meeting. And, and I think uh, Vice Chair Halbert's going to read those items, and then we'll um, have a second to that motion. President Miley, I would like to move the approval of items from the January 24th meeting, which are items 10, 11, 12, 13, 16, 18, 20, 21, 23, 25, 26, 33, 34, 42, 43, 44, 49, 54, and 57. Uh, just a point of correction, 54 and 57 were actually approved at your special meeting. So they are listed on the agenda, but it is noted that they were previously approved at your special meeting. So those strike those from the motion. Voted on again. Very good. Thank you. Uh, strike those from my mass motion. Okay. Is there a second on those items? A second by Supervisor Tam. <coughs> any board comments or questions on those items? All right, if we can have the roll call. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Aye. Supervisor Carson? Uh, yes. President Miley? Aye. All right, so the motion um, passes. So now we will take up the consent calendar items 106 through 115. Oh, uh, do, do we do? Oh, we I'm sorry. Do, I'm sorry. I'm we, sorry. Did you, yes, you're right, you, uh, Supervisor Carson. Let's do the the set item. Yes. Uh, no, I was wondering. I was wondering. Did did we report out of closed session? Um, if, if, and even though we have to go back in, any items that took place while while the board was in closed session? Uh, council. And then board remarks or or I'm sorry. I just wanted to know if I missed that. Sure. Council? No, we we did not report out. I was prepared to report out um, when we complete closed session for the day. Okay. And then what about board remarks or before? Before we go to the set matter? Yeah. Okay. Supervisor remarks? Well, yeah. Well, thank you very much. I, pre I appreciate it. And the reason I, I pointed it out today as opposed to normally is... Um, I wanted to offer it up an apology to my colleagues on the Board of Supervisors, um, the department heads, and to the public um, for um, my behavior uh, on, on the special board meeting that we had uh, last week, especially towards the end of that board meeting. Um, uh, been thinking about it since then, and I just uh, think I owe uh, my colleagues, the department heads, and the public, an apology for my behavior. Okay, thank you, Supervisor Carson. Any other board comments or remarks? Okay, I think we'll go to the uh, the set item. The set items that we have for eleven o'clock. So your first set item is. Um, Supervisor Carson's proclamation. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Um, 
I um, appreciate the opportunity to do this uh, on, on multiple levels today. Um, we routinely have an opportunity to highlight every single year um, signature and historic and pointed uh, events as well as um, individuals that we recognize every single year, historic individuals. Um, but it gives me great pleasure uh, today uh, to represent and uh, act on behalf of the board with respect to the February is Black History Month. Um, and I'll say why in a second. Uh, Black History Month, um, and this year's theme uh, is acknowledges the importance of Black resistance as identified by the Association and the Study of African-American Life and History. It acknowledges the legacy of Black revolutionaries and activists who fought for justice and against racial discrimination in all areas of modern society. African-Americans have resisted all forms of racial uh, terrorism and systematic oppression uh, since the arrival of the first enslaved people in the United States. From revolutionaries such as Harriet Tubman, who long resisted the immoral uh, practice of enslavement, to Martin Luther King, who consistently uh, resisted the Jim Crow South by sitting in and boycotts with his colleagues. African-Americans have consistently pushed the United States to uphold its own ideals of freedom, justice, and to protect the lives of American people, uh, which have been facing discrimination since we've been here and continues, some would say, and I agree with them, intensifies uh, today, uh, unfortunately. So as we celebrate this year's Black History Month, we are recognizing the Dr. Huey P. Newton Foundation for their leadership, contributions, dedication, and passion for helping our Black communities. The Dr. Huey P. Newton Foundation um, representative today is none other than Frederica Newton, who, who was uh, Huey's, uh, Huey's wife. Uh, she was founded by uh, Frederica Newton with the intention to preserve and spread the history, philosophy, and legacy of the Black Panther Party and its founder, Huey P. Newton. Since its founding, the foundation has continued to educate the public about the Black Panthers' contributions towards the liberation of all oppressed people through its public art initiatives and educational conferences with Black activism in the name of the Black Panther Party legacy. Uh, we thank the Dr. Huey P. Newton Foundation and the people who run and serve our communities for their dedication, commitment, and preservation of the Black Panther legacy and the continuous advocacy to promote social and economic justice and equity. Thank you for the work that you do and will continue to do in our community to make this a better place to live, work, and thrive. Uh, just before... Um, um, Rodrika Newton uh, comes up to uh, receive the proclamation. Uh, let me say that um, at, at some point and maybe in the minds of some individuals, um, the, the Black Panther Party uh, was looked at um, in, a, in a negative light, but many of us in, in this community where it was birthed right here in Oakland, California, um, felt that it really was a shining light 
during the civil rights movement and even afterwards on multiple levels. Um, many national programs have now sprung up since the uh, beginning of the Black Panther Party was programs that were initiated by, by the Black Panther Party. Uh, the free breakfast program um, that helped uh, young kids get not only nutrition and breakfast, but also helped them to be prepared uh, for education and learning in the school that, that the Black Panther Party ran. Um, the, the free clinic uh, and uh, starting that here in uh, on Adeline Street a number of years ago uh, really uh, gave birth to health centers and the clinics across this country in communities um, where people started to get their, their health care. Education was one of the fundamentals of the Black Panther Party. Um, and I personally used to attend um, the educational ses sessions that used to take place every Wednesday night at St. Andrew's Church, uh, uh, which really gave me a sense of not only African-American history, uh, but U.S. history from a different perspective than what I was getting in school. And uh, really, um, I think, kind of made me more interested in learning and, and finding out about the world that we all live in. And then finally, um, um, many of us had um, an opportunity to get to know Huey um, personally and directly. Uh, my father, when he was alive and I, um, attended, unfortunately, uh, Huey's first trial uh, right behind us in the Alameda County Court building. We got there at six in the morning in order to attend that first trial uh, that Huey had. And so uh, I, I want to thank Frederica and all of the individuals who've continued to highlight um, not only the legacy of Huey B. Newton, but um, all of the, the impacts that it's had, not only just to the Black community, um, but to the community at large, regardless of sister race, um, gender, religious affiliation, uh, or ideology. And with that, I would like to uh, ask Frederica to come up and, and uh, accept the award. And I don't know if the Shahid is in the audience, she can hand it to her. And feel free to say whatever you'd like to say, Frederica. Cry. <clears throat> I'd like to say a few words. Thank you for inviting me to share to share today with you all for this very meaningful recognition. It's not lost on me for one moment that this Black History Month theme of Black resistance is fortified in the work that we've been doing for the last 28 years with the Dr. Huey P. Newton Foundation. In 1995, when I co-founded this foundation with David Hilliard, it all seemed so daunting. We had archives and ideas and a county, and a county full of historical sites that helped us weave the history of the party. And I'll be honest, we didn't have a lot of support from the places and people that mattered those who could help elevate this history and the valuable lessons and information that can be gleaned. But we carved our path, and I would say the past few years in particular have been mm -hmm. very remarkable. We have a, a street name for Huey. We have a bust of Huey on public land. We have our first brick and mortar foundation location in downtown Oakland. 
the Dr. Huey P. Newton Center for Research and Action. And we're working with the National Park Service to bring a first Black Panther Party National Park right here in Oakland, a park that will, be, will support the history and legacy of the Black Power Movement and the Black Panther Party. But mostly the support and the coalitions have been coming in droves, and we're better for it. Supervisor Carson, you've been a beacon for us, and I'm so grateful. In fact, this entire Board of Supervisors has been tremendous. We're more focused, more enriched, more encouraged because of how you have embraced this legacy and the work of promoting it. So I gratefully accept this recognition on behalf of Xavier and my team. Xavier is my executive director. We look forward to continuing to make things happen with you and all power to the people. And Keith, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Okay, th thank you for those remarks. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Carson and Federica, for your comments. So, our next uh, item under set matters today is item 105. Good morning, Supervisors. Um, while we pull up, um, the communicable disease uh, update. I'm Colleen Chavla. I'm the director of the Healthcare Services Agency. Dr. Moss wishes he could be with you um, here today, but he is uh, out sick today. So I am going to provide you with the uh, communicable disease update. Okay, so um, just some few a few highlights that you'll see in the presentation today. Um, our daily uh, reported COVID nineteen case rate has plateaued at a lower level. So most signals, what you'll the overriding um, information you'll receive today is most signals are looking good. Those are though it's a little bit mixed, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the um, the uh, health officer public health emergency as well. So the case rates have plateaued. Our hospitalization has also uh, uh, continued to remain at a lower level. Uh, we are in the CDC's low uh, community level of transmission for COVID-19, and you'll see a map in a little bit um, to show how we are across the nation. The wastewater signals are mixed. Um, you'll see that there's a little bit of a blip up in wastewater recently. Not sure um, if that is uh, what if that's an indication of uh, holiday uh, get-togethers or something different. Um, flu and RSV situations have improved, and uh, for certain, this winter has been better than the prior two winters as it relates to COVID. So here's our daily case rate, um, and you can see this tracks it um, since October 25th um, to January 24th, and you can see that uh, we had our height in the middle of December, and we are uh, now in, uh, in a decline, and we seem to have plateaued in this lower level. 
Our test positivity rate is the proportion of tests that are conducted, uh, PCR tests that are conducted that are positive. Uh, and this uh, trajectory follows the, the case rate trajectory. So you've seen that it was peaked, it had peaked in mid -Dece early December and is now also falling. This is an image of our hospitalizations, again, following the same path. Uh, the blue lines are all uh, patients hospitalized with COVID, and the yellow are those who are in the ICU. Uh, and you can see that the trajectory is going downward on hospitalizations, although in the ICU is uh, about uh, level for the past few weeks. This is the, um, the one inconsistent data point. You can see here, this is wastewater uh, surveillance, and you can see here that the wastewater uh, surveillance shows an uptick uh, at the beginning of January. So not sure um, where this will go from here, but we'll continue to monitor that. This is a look across the nation. <clears throat> You've heard probably in the news about XBB 1.5. That's the uh, new Omicron variant that's been predominant <clears throat> in the northeast uh, and eastern half of the United States, but it's a growing proportion of cases as the variant is moving west. So we now have nearly 50% uh, in California, um, and it was an increased proportion from just um, a few weeks ago. This is a, a map of the uh, COVID community levels uh, in the United States by county. And this only records data from PCR tests. So home tests don't get recorded. So this is only those tests that go to a lab. But you can see that um, for mo most of the United States, we're now in the low community transmission level with just a few spots in California um, continuing to be in the medium. We, as I mentioned before, are in the low uh, category right now. So just some high-level uh, retrospectives. Um, as you know, the state's uh, emergency is planning to end on February 28th, and I'll go into this in a moment, and ours is... Uh, planning to coincide with the state emergency. So just a little bit of retrospective um, uh, from where we ha have been to, to date. Um, nearly 400,000 laboratory confirmed, uh, confirmed and probable COVID-19 cases in Alameda County uh, since the onset of the pandemic. More than 9 million COVID-19 tests have been reported by labs um, for Alameda County residents. We've re recorded uh, 2,359 deaths uh, among those cases that are confirmed and probable. More than 86% of county residents have received their primary vaccine series, and almost 35% have received the bivalent booster, which provides uh, more protection for the currently circulating uh, variants of COVID-19. 15,600 hospitalizations uh, have been reported and uh, in Alameda County, um, but it's still important to know that the local burden of long COVID is not known, and people are continuing to contract COVID and, uh, and experience negative health um, outcomes as a result of COVID. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of trouble. Can you advance to the next slide for me? Oop, looks like it's working now. <laughs> Thank you. So the local health emergency update, as uh, Dr. Moss has forecasted with your board before, uh, we expect that the local health officer emergency uh, will lift in alignment with the state's emergency on February 28th. 
um, with, and that uh, coincides with the state's uh, emergency uh, declaration, the end of the state's emergency declaration. As long as local conditions uh, continue to track in the way that I've just described, uh, the remaining local COVID-19 health orders will also be rescinded at that time. And those health orders relate to uh, isolation, the quarantine and corrections, some uh, requirements regarding testing at long-term care facilities and lab reporting. And <clears throat> these um, uh, policy uh, uh, positions will remain as guidelines, but will no longer be requirements under a health officer order. So there still would be recommendations as to what to do with isolation and quarantine for people who are exposed but not confirmed with COVID um, in correctional settings. So they will be guidelines, but not, um, not health officer orders. And so we will continue to further align with the state and the CDC for ongoing COVID-19 guidance. As a healthcare services agency and the public health department, we will be shifting from a primarily response-driven approach to COVID-19 to a greater focus on prevention, and we'll continue to integrate our ongoing COVID-19 work into regular programming in the Communicable Disease Control Division of the Public Health Department. Uh, so our ongoing um, public health department's COVID-19 services will uh, include those that you see here. Certainly, we will continue to respond to, uh, to outbreak, uh, outbreaks in long-term care facilities and other congregate settings to quickly isolate people who uh, are in those closed, closed quarters uh, and prevent uh, the spread of COVID-19 in those facilities. We'll continue with our community vaccinations. Uh, we've... It's a, definitely a um, significantly ramped down version of community vaccines than we've had in the past. So we'll continue at the Weeks Community Center and continue to work with our partners in our community coalitions to support pop-up clinics uh, in uh, most impacted neighborhoods. Our testing will, uh, will continue, but we'll have an increased focus on outreach uh, and education and uh, provide more home test kit distribution um, now that the funding for uh, state-funded sites uh, in our communities and across the state has concluded. We will continue our coordination with community partners. Your board has supported our uh, community coalitions, and that provides us with uh, a, uh, an ability to get deep into communities most impacted by COVID-19. We'll continue our data uh, surveillance and the, um, the publishing of dashboards, though probably at a less frequent um, update uh, cadence. Uh, we do still see a need for um, coordinating therapeutics. Not all people who are eligible for therapeutics for COVID are aware, and we want to make sure that people um, not only are aware but have the um, ability to connect with those treatment options and, of course, continue with our resource distribution um, through our community coalitions and other methods. Um, those include masks, test kits, and other resources. So at the state and federal level, um, Emergency uh, uh, changes are happening there as well. This is just a summary. There are far more impacts of, a, of the federal, for example, um, end of the, of the public health emergency than would be covered by my presentation here today, but just to highlight a few. So as I mentioned a couple of times, the California Emergency Declaration will end on February 28th, and their uh, emergency regulatory waivers will sunset. 
Um, they are continuing, like we are, to de-escalate the use of state resources and staffing to um, uh, put it back into their public health department um, operations, normal public health department operations. Uh, other um, items we're not quite sure yet. There are still our state health orders, not the emergency, but state health officer orders that affect things like masking um, in certain situations. And so it's not clear yet what the state will do um, with those requirements. But um, our sunsetting of our own local health officer order uh, means that we would follow the state's health officer orders. Uh, at the federal level, uh, the, the public health emergency is scheduled to end May 11th. Uh, they, the federal government separated out the continuous coverage um, on Medicaid for, um, for people on Medicaid to end on March 31st. And uh, Medicaid COVID uninsured program will end on May 11th, meaning that uh, the ability for people to access COVID uh, uh, vaccinations, testing, and treatment um, who are uninsured would end May 11th. In California, we're a little bit more protected and probably have um, more coverage, uh, state-specific coverage. But uh, in, in any case, people who are uninsured um, still have uh, difficulty accessing uh, COVID care, um, even if it is covered by, by uh, a payer. And then the FDA emergency use author authorizations for um, vaccinations and therapeutics that are currently offered under the EUA will uh, end at another date to be determined. So what to expect going forward? Um, the, uh, the specific public health emergency declarations are ending, but it's important to remember that COVID-19 will remain a part of our lives. And there continues to be greatest risk for older adults and people with serious health conditions. New variants will emerge, uh, and our understanding of the short and long-term impacts of infection will uh, continue to increase over time. Uh, we expect that treatment and vaccination strategies would continue to evolve um, to be responsive to the conditions in the moment. And our public health strategies uh, may come in time to resemble those that uh, we have for influenza. But still, there is a lot of uncertainty and appreciate your board's support of our public health department's uh, COVID-19 response. Uh, one other thing I want to say, I think about this, is that uh, Supervisor Miley had requested that we uh, prepare some lessons learned to date um, from COVID-19. So there is a plan for us to share that information at the next uh, health committee meeting of your board. So this still con uh, uh, continues to be our guidance um, what, for what residents can do about COVID-19 and any other respiratory vi viruses. Number one is to stay home when you're sick. Make sure you're up to date on vaccinations. Uh, keep your gatherings small and outside or well ventilated if you can. If you want greater protection, wear a mask. Uh, test in advance. Home tests in advance of uh, get-togethers can be helpful for uh, identifying COVID-19 early. And then uh, have a plan to get treatment if you do become infected. So that concludes uh, my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Okay, thank you for the presentation. Any questions or comments from Supervisor, Supervisor uh, Albert? Yes, uh, thank you. I, I continue to get questions, and I just want to be um, very clear. I think I know the answer to this, but people continue to complain. They can't hear us. They have to wear a mask when they come into this building and libraries. 
difficult to talk. That has nothing to do with the health order that Dr. Moss has issued. That's, That's correct? That is now, correct. So then the question is, do you, and maybe it's a question for our legal team, or does that automatically expire when the 28th goes away? I'll and, and, and we would have to take action to continue it, or do we have to take action to eliminate the need for, for us wearing masks? What's the answer to that? I don't know. So the, your board took an action. So it was not the health officer. It was your board. Your board took an action and adopted a policy that required masks in county facilities. Um, and that policy is tied to the local and state health emergency. So by the terms of that policy, the mask mandate is lifted when the local state and health emergencies are listed, lifted, and it does not require further action by your board. Thank you. Um, I, like everything in the report, the one other th question I had is around the therapeutics. I've seen commercials for a therapeutic. I don't think I can pronounce it, the name of it. It's a pill. Remdesivir. How do you say it? Remdesivir. I still can't pronounce it, but so you guys can see it's spelled out. So I know it's available, but I just, I've heard people say I can't get it. If a doctor would prescribe it, it would take weeks to get. Do we have any idea? I guess it's different than the vaccine supplies, which we were clamoring to get from the beginning. Now we have, do we need to press the button to get more of those therapeutics into our county? Or is it just something that's going to happen over time? I'm not certain that it's a supply uh, issue at this point. I think it's a, an access to health care issue and also uh, a, an access to information issue. Mm. One of the things that we really want to make sure we continue to do is provide education, not just for members of our community, but for um, our uh, medical community on uh, how to access remdesivir. That's not... It, uh, unlike vaccines, which come through our local health department in addition to having other uh, distribution methods, that's not true for treatment. So it's really incumbent upon us to link people to treatment and to providers uh, to get access to the treatment as opposed to providing them the treatment directly ourselves. And could you make, uh, I don't know that it's in here, but I think you probably know it off the top of your head, with regard to vaccination, with regard to receiving the first dose, the second dose, uh, the other boosters, are we, we got to be in the 90s. And I know it just, it's different. Some areas are less, some areas are more. But what, it, what would you say even qualitatively we do compared to our neighbors, uh, compared to what we think is doing a, the best we can? It feels like we're there, but we'll never stop. Yeah. But are, are, are we, we're not behind, I don't we have very high rates of uh, people who have seen, received their primary vaccination series. Over 86% of our whole population in Alameda County has received the primary vaccination series. Only 35%, however, have received the bivalent booster um, that is recommended. So um, we have a higher vaccination rate than the state overall, both for the primary series and for the uh, bivalent booster. Um, but there's more work to be done. Um, certainly, uh, vaccines do uh, are effective at preventing severe illness, uh, hospitalization, and death. They can reduce um, infections and protect people um, around people who have been vaccinated. And um, 
at the same time, vaccine effectiveness wanes over time, just like the flu vaccine, for example, it wanes over time, becomes less effective over time. And also just like the flu, new variants emerge that can evade the vaccines that we have. So it's really important for people to uh, stay up to date on their boosters with the most recently recommended booster. I, um, I have my booster shots, all of them, but I do know there's continued concern about um, pregnant women or women that w would like to get pregnant or trying to get pregnant. Could you just comment on, is, is, what's, what, is the jury out on that still, or do we really know there may be some disagreement, but the general medical field has an opinion on that, and are we uh, uh, giving information to, to women that uh, are in that situation about what to do, what to think about? Certainly that is uh, part of our, um, our community education um, materials. I don't have um, all of the details on the current recommendations, but I know that that's part of what um, our folks uh, educate um, about. Great. Thank you very much. Any other comments from supervisors or questions? Okay, let's hear from the public, please. Two minutes per speaker. Catherine, you're on the line. Yeah, two minutes to speak. Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're aware of, uh, of a law researcher named Catherine Watt. Well, she did some deep dive on the COVID injections, and this is what her findings were. Uh, give me one second. And the basic idea is that public health has been militarized and the military has been sort of turned into a public health front or um, Potemkin village such that they are using public health language and public health laws to actually carry out a military campaign. And I would not call them DOD vaccines. I would call them DOD weapons. So call it the kill box because the first sort of lead that I had was Todd Callender's January 30th, 2022 interview on Elizabeth Leafleet's podcast called Truth for Health. And he described it as a kill box. And then I looked that up and it turned out it's a military term for establishing a geographic space or three-dimensional area for a military attack by air and by surface to kill the people who are in it and then dismantle the kind of um, framework and move on to the next campaign. And what the DOD and the World Health Organization intend to do and have gotten quite far in doing but not completely um, reach their goals is to set up the entire world as their geographic terrain their target population as all the people in the world the duration of their campaign as permanent and the weapons that they're using are number one informational that's the propaganda piece and the censorship piece. number two psychological that's the fear and terrorism piece of telling people they need to be afraid all the time and they need to listen to the government and then the third piece is the radiological and nuclear weapons, which are called in their campaign pharmaceuticals, vaccines, but are actually toxins and pathogens. Um, well, take so Alameda County out of the kill box. I had already been wondering what was going right. on, but I stopped. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Cecilia, you're on the line. You have two minutes to speak. Thank you. This is Speaker Cecilia Benucci. I am responding to Officer Chawla's comment about remdesivir in which she laughed after saying the word remdesivir. I have sent you twice now email correspondence regarding three lawsuits in Fresno that are based on alleging that remdesivir, which has been used to treat COVID patients as a protocol, a hospital protocol, is, quote, a dangerous experimental drug and unsafe and ineffective, end quote. They also allege in this these lawsuits, quote, the hospitals administered remdesivir without fully informed consent or revealing what the dangers may be. And they contend that, quote, other treatments such as ivermectin could have been more effective, end quote. For Officer Chawla to laugh when speaking of remdesivir is showing a lack of decorum and seriousness about something that we all should be paying the most attention to. I would also like to say that regarding these immunization programs, a shot in the arm cannot confer mucosal immunity. That is immunity in the nose and throat, which is what you need when you're trying to prevent respiratory viruses. And as far as the pregnant and nursing women go, They have been told that the vaccines, the COVID shots, are safe and effective for them as well as everyone else. And I would venture to say they are not safe for anyone. They have never been proven safe. Thank you. Cindy Rocha, you're on the line. You have two minutes to speak. Cindy Rocha, uh, San Leandro. I'm also a member of the election integrity team of Alameda County. Uh, and the reason why I'm speaking on this issue is because I believe, and it's been evidence, that everything that you're doing with regard to um, elections is based on this emergency situation in COVID-19 and, and uh, continuing to do vote by mail and this whole uh, Voters' Choice Act. Uh, But specifically, I want to ask why, um, Supervisor Halbert, thank you for asking the question about uh, pregnant women and women who wish to become pregnant. You asked a question, and it was never answered by your presenter. Women were never given the information about how dangerous these injections are and the boosters. I would like this individual to explain, to finally answer your question, Supervisor Halbert, which again, I wanna thank you for asking that question. You seem to be the only one that's targeting and drilling down, but I would like an answer to that question. Madam, would you please approach the podium and answer that question? How have you let these women know that what they are about to take or have taken, how it's going to affect their pregnancy? Thank you. I yield my time. We have no more speakers. I want to thank the speakers for their comments. I want to thank the speakers for their comments. 
Uh, we've come to, we've uh, handled our set items for today. So I'd like to go to our consent calendar. So if we could get a motion on the consent calendar. Move approval of today's consent calendar. Is there a second? Second. Second. And our, our consent calendar items 106 through 115. It's been moved. Are there any board comments or questions regarding consent? So if the clerk could take the roll, please. Mm -hmm. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Supervisor Tam? Supervisor Tam, excused. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Okay, so now we will have the mass motion. President Carson, I'd like to move. Before we move to the mass motion, um, there were, yeah. There's one four-fifths item on your consent calendar, item 109. Uh, Supervisor Tam is back on the line. <coughs> Sorry, I'm having a coughing fit here. So we so, need a vote. Yeah. So can we just uh, have the vote once again on consent? All right. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Here. I, um, yes. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Okay, motion passes. <coughs> now if we can go to the mass motion. President Miley, I'd like to move item 58. 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 77.1, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88 has been continued. Move item 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 98, 99, 100, and 102. Um, just before I second that, I, I just have a question on 78. Question on 78. Yeah, but I'll second, I'll second the uh, mass motion. The mass motion has been moved and seconded. So question on item 78. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't, I, I've historically not tried to meddle around in other board members' districts, and this is not to try to meddle around. I just wanted to kind of get some clarity from social service agencies, not a question of the contribution, just the kind of a general question of service agency regarding uh, uh, warming centers in, in, in general. Board Director of Social Services, before you, Supervisor. Oh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, in, in general, um, Warming centers uh, are located uh, throughout the, the various cities, I guess, right? That's correct. 
And and do we have warming centers in all all 14 cities as well as the unincorporated area, or or they kind of how how do what's what's the methodology for establishing a warming center? I, the reason I'm asking this because I know we have a couple in in Oakland, and I actually was at an event on last Monday uh, in which some uh, some of the representatives from Livermore were there. It was an event for Rob Ron Bonta. And they and they brought up this warming city issue because I wasn't aware of it. They brought it up in my conversation in in Livermore. So, I, what, what's what's kind of the methodology for establishing warming centers? So, Supervisor, and this is Andrea Ford. I have Michelle Starrett with me because historically HCD has uh, managed warming center contracts, and it was just transitioned to social services this this current fiscal year. So, Michelle will be able to answer those questions yeah. for you. Thank you, Supervisor. So historically, uh, the county partnered with cities that wished to stand up a warming center. And so the very first warming center was a partnership between Oakland, Berkeley, and the county at the former Oakland um, Army Base. That, uh, that center was there for several years until the Oakland Army Base, they decided to move it off that site. And at that point in time, our role, which at, originally was to help provide and facilitate the Oakland Army Base site, because that was under our jurisdiction for a while, um, in our role as the homeless um, uh, conveyance partner of the Oakland Army Base and the Alameda and the Air Station, we then transitioned to a funding partner, and we had been uh, funding Oakland as the lead entity. Over time, as other cities and nonprofits chose to stand up winter shelters, for instance, one in Fremont and eventually uh, uh, the one in the unincorporated county, we came to the table to help those local governments actually build them. Right now, we have one in Oakland, uh, we have one in Alameda, there's one in Fremont, and uh, historically, the city of Livermore never chose to stand up a, a warming shelter. However, a church in Livermore was providing that service for many years, but when the COVID-19 pandemic began, they chose, not to, uh, they chose not to have the volunteers uh, continue that program because they were mostly elderly and senior citizens and they didn't want to expose them to COVID. At that point in time, we came to the table with some funding last year and the year before to fund a motel voucher. At the same time, healthcare, healthcare Services Agency was also funding one of the COVID hotels out in Livermore. And so in combination, that served the Tri-Valley. But when the COVID hotel shut down, that left some need out in the Tri-Valley. Um, again, last year, we funded the city to uh, do the motel voucher program. Um, unfortunately, most of these programs have reverted to motel voucher programs there is less real estate available to open a physical location as a warming shelter. And that started to be the case about six years ago. So there's fewer and fewer physical locations that act as warming shelters and more motel voucher programs, meaning someone shows up at a, a homeless shelter, there are insufficient beds for them, and the homeless shelter helps facilitate them accessing a motel for the very cold night. And that's the history of our program in general. You're muted, Supervisor. 
Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, over the last 10 years, I know there's been an explosion, uh, unfortunately, of need around warming centers, homeless facilities, and it continues to grow. I mean, LA has over 64,000 people on any given night. 64,000 is almost a city, you know, on any given night that are unsheltered, right? And that number's growing. Uh, and I was at a meeting uh, last week, um, homeless came up uh, with respect to that. And that was statewide um, conversation as well as a national conversation about where things are going. Uh, how the numbers, unfortunately, everywhere, rural, suburban, urban areas across this country are growing. And our ability to um, support them is not always met with financial dollars from the federal and state government to do it. Um, it may be one-time dollars we get from them, but the long-term structural cost of providing these services um, become local government's responsibility. So on, on, on so far, is there a policy or something that's written on how warming centers get established in Alameda County? Does, if there's a policy, does it kind of identify a methodology for establishing warming centers? And is there a part that the cities where individuals unfortunately may need their services that they have a financial responsibility um, or a planning responsibility around these facilities because mostly my understanding is the county's responsibility is around programs for the most part in terms of supporting but the feeding the, the actual cost of the facility um, the actual cost of security all of those things related to land use could you be clear about mm -hmm. where the mm -hmm. responsibility of the cities are, where the responsibilities of the county is? Mm -hmm. And I know in the unincorporated area, we assume all of those responsibilities. Correct. Um, so yes, the, the real estate and land use side of a winter shelter or a homeless shelter is really the purview of the city. If the city chooses to stand up a, a, a shelter, they have the responsibility of going through a land use process to obtain the necessary permits and, um, and, and, and make sure the use is something that the community supports. Um, I think that's a really critical thing because we see a lot of NIMBY activity around homeless shelters. So it, it is not necessarily something that the county steps in and tries to start a, a winter shelter or a homeless shelter in someone else's jurisdiction. Um, we, we do try and come to the table to be a funding partner. And, and that has been our role for many years. And funding meaning funding funding in which respect? I mean, and that gets a little dicey because I know Oakland is saying we need, they're publicly saying it, council people in my district are constantly, constantly saying we need more of these facilities in our area. The county, the county is not stepping up to do its, its, its due diligence. Matter of fact, the last conversation was that maybe we need to succeed from the county. Maybe people have heard that's become a public discussion about that. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm asking these delicate questions, mm -hmm. you know, who we pays have, for what? Yeah, we and have who, a and is that an ex, is that established someplace in writing as opposed to subject to each particular center that pops up? 
Yeah, I don't believe that there's anything in writing. So that is something that in partnership with SSA and the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination, we could try and come up with something like that. Um, when I say funding, there is a very set budget. It hasn't expanded. It is the same amount that has been there for many years. And it is shared between uh, ongoing homeless shelters and a winter shelter program. And so just because someone wants to start a new homeless shelter doesn't mean there's an increase in funding to support it. We have a flat bed night rate that we use, and that's what we try and establish. In the unincorporated county, we established a new winter shelter in partnership with um, First Presbyterian Church of Hayward. And we did that because originally it was just a winter warming shelter, and the community wanted an ongoing shelter. And so we have stood that up that new shelter in the last uh, four years. So I think um, what, what's important to note is, is that there isn't an, an, uh, a new funding source available for this, and we are funding as many beds as we can. And what I'll say is I haven't seen any policies written, but I have pulled various cities' um, emergency operation plans, and it states in those plans that they will um, stand up winter or um, cooling centers at particular times throughout the year. Okay. And, and I, I noticed that there has been, maybe the board took an action on this and I might not have been as attentive. There's been a shift from the, uh, from, from CDA, from the Community Development Agency over to social services and, and healthcare uh, to be responsible now for warming centers it, and kind of what was the, the thought process of that uh, in, in terms of the shift of that responsibility and the financial involvement. So over the last couple of years, we have been working on aligning homeless services. And there has been an intent that with the creation of the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination, uh, we would align our services with our office at CDA being responsible for affordable housing development and capital funding and, and work of that type. Carrie's office being responsible, Office of Homeless Care and Coordination being responsible for homeless policy and homeless programming. And SSA has been responsible uh, as the funding entity for most of the shelter programming. And so the shift of our winter shelter program over to where the SSA homeless shelter program was is, is, is the item that happened this past year. And that alignment puts shelter in SSA, it puts homeless policy and programming in HICSA, and it puts homeless and affordable housing development and long-term financing of capital infrastructure in CDA. Okay, um, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. And, and, I, and I wanted to try to get a, to the extent that I could get, and you were very clear, but um, just so I can understand it better, um, given the fact that this is a growing challenge uh, that everybody's trying to contain uh, without necessarily having adequate long-term uh, financial projections on how to deal with it. Um, you know, I, I raise it not because I'm not compassionate and don't want us to do it. I'm raising it because if we establish it, we got to be able to sustain it for a long time. And I'm just trying to think as opposed to doing things uh, as we have in the past, since this is not a, an, it, this issue has grown past uh, our history of the past, um, how, how we're looking at it for the next five, 10 years based on growth in that area and need in that area. 
is with the warming center means people should get fed. It, it, there should be certain kinds of services that are provided. Um, there should be security to the extent that it's there. And all of those things, um, Just we just need to look at it. Um, and I'm not saying we're not. Um, in, in a long-term kind of way, approach, and, and I appreciate it. Supervisor, if I could just add one more thing quickly. I, I left out that the role and responsibility for the unincorporated county remains with CDA, as that is our, our tie. So the homeless programming and work in the unincorporated county remains with CDA. Thank you. I appreciate and, and it. If I can add, if item 78 passes as part of the mass motion, I would like to just receive a budget, a line item budget, so I can see what those expenditures will be for moving forward. And, and that would come, that would come from who? Um, whoever's operating the Livermore Warming Center. Okay. What's the question? A line item budget to substantiate oh. what the $50,000 um, would be for the spending. Good, good idea. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I just want to say I agree with uh, uh, Supervisor Carson that a long-term discussion we should be absolutely looking at. Uh, inclement weather will not go away. Uh, I, I got involved with this because I believe that the most vulnerable population we have are homeless. At their most vulnerable time is when it's freezing rain, freezing or raining, when it's cold in the winter. And so while it's a partnership, and while we may solve it in different ways, and way we may partner with nonprofit organizations when they're available, while we may partner with city organizations, that ultimately uh, we bear a large responsibility for health, safety, and people are suffering. And so uh, I think this is, uh, I'm, f I'm in full support of this. But indeed, to Supervisor Carson's point, we have to have and engage in the long-term dialogue. And I hope to do that after we get past this winter. Thank you. Any other board comments or questions on the mass motion? So if we could have the roll. Hmm. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Aye. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Motion passes. All right. So now I think we have ordinances we need to take up. Correct. Uh, your first one is item 36. It's the second rating of salary ordinance amendments. Item 36, adopt the Union of American Physicians and Dentists UAPD Memorandum of Understanding Memorandum of Understanding MOU and two Sally Ordinance Amendment to update Section One One Point One. Move to waive the full reading of the ordinance and adopt it. Is there a second? Second. Second by Supervisor Carson. Move to waive the full reading, second reading of the ordinance. Move for its adoption. Any board questions or comments? Any speakers on the ordinance? Okay. Have the roll. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Abstain. Supervisor Carson? Yes. 
President Miley. Yes. Motion passes. I, item 37 is also second reading of salary ordinance amendments. And Supervisor Miley, for um, your information, you took public comment on items on the agenda earlier. Uh, thank you, County Council. Mm -hmm. Item 37, adopt a site letter of agreement with the IFPTE Local 21 for S-06 and S-25 PACE and B, salary ordinance amendments to update subsections 1-1.1 and 3-12.19 to establish two new classes of children's medical service services administrator, JC job code 5087 and court appointed special advocates program administrator, job code 6188 and HCSA and subsection 3-18.45 to provide stipends to employees in class of child welfare supervisor, job code 6750 in SSA. Move to waive the full reading and adopt the item. Is there a second? Second. Okay, second by, moved by Supervisor Howard, second by Supervisor Carson and to move the um, full reading of second reading and adoption of these uh, three uh, ordinances. Any board comments or questions? Can we have the roll? Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Abstain. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Motion passes. Uh, item 38 is the first reading of a salary ordinance amendment affecting the compensation of the Deputy Director of Public Health. Item 38, adopt the salary ordinance amendment to add subsection 3-12.97 to create a footnote for the classification of deputy director, public health job code 5047. Move to waive the full rating and adopt the ordinance. Second. Who seconded? I did. Okay, second. Okay, moved by Supervisor Halbert, second by Supervisor Carson to move to waive the first reading and the introduction of the ordinance. Any questions, comments from board members? I think this is the first reading. Yes. Yes. It is correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Roll call. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle? Excused. Supervisor Tam? Yes. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Motion passes. Uh, item 97 is also the first reading of salary ordinance amendments affecting classifications in the Healthcare Services Agency CASA program as well as for registered nurses. Item number seven, adopt the salary ordinance amendments to one, update subsection 1-1.1 to establish one new classification of court appointed special advocates program manager, job code 6187, and to update subsection 3-12.19 to add job code 6187. Eight, seven and three amend section 3-12 healthcare services agency to add subsection 3-2.98 to create a footnote for one employee in the classification of registered nurse for job code 5320. Move to waive the full reading of the first the full first reading and move to the second reading of this ordinance. I'll second. Okay, move by Supervisor Halbert, second by Supervisor Tam. And this is to move away the first reading and introduction of this ordinance. It's item 97, right? Yes. Okay. 
Any any board questions or comments? <coughs> Roll call. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam? Yes. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Motion passes. Your last ordinance is item 101. It's Public Works Agency. It's the first reading of traffic regulation code amendments for the unincorporated area. Item 101, adopt an ordinance admitting chapter one relating to traffic regulations, county highways of title six relating to vehicles and traffic of the Alameda County Public Works, ACPW traffic code. Move to waive the full first reading and choose the item, the ordinance. Second. Move by Supervisor Albert, second by Supervisor Tam, to waive the first reading of the ordinance and move for its introduction. Any board comments or not, or um, com uh, questions? Okay, let's have the roll call. Supervisor Halbert? Aye. Supervisor Valle? Excused. Supervisor Tam? Yes. Supervisor Carson? Yes. President Miley? Yes. Okay. Motion passes. Okay. So we have, we're going to recess back into closed session, but we do have items 116 and 117 that we will be taking up after closed session uh, here in the board chambers. And the, both of those items are subject to uh, public uh, comment after each, after we are, we've heard each item. So we will recess now back into closed session. Recording in progress. Are we good? Are we ready? Yep. All righty. The board is back from closed session. Would the clerk like to take the roll? Supervisor Halbert. Present. Supervisor Valle, excused. Supervisor Tam, excused. Supervisor Carson. Present. President Miley. Here. And I'll ask County Council if there's any reportable items from closed session. The board did not take a reportable item in closed session today. However, I do want to report out um, from the case Risa Moreno et al., the County of Alameda et al., Alameda County Superior Court case number RG1683581, which is on today's agenda, that at the closed session, on August 9th, 2022, the board authorized settlement. That matter has now settled. And the, mat the final settlement amount is $1,056,976. Um, and the closed session vote to, to allow us to achieve this settlement um, was three votes in favor Supervisor Miley, Supervisor Valle, and Supervisor Brown, and with Supervisor Halbert and Supervisor Carson abstained. All right, thank you, County Council. So we're now to agenda items uh, 116 and 117. And if um, 
for the benefit of the public, if you notice on the agenda, these are informational items. Uh, I've asked county council and the county administrator to um, have us compliant with the Brown Act so that we could take up additional items on Tuesdays. Historically, the board would have work sessions where we would put, take up items at our work sessions once a month, but we have so many items that our work sessions can't accommodate everything we need to take up. And so we'll be holding um, these informational items and you'll see them appearing on the agenda um, at our regular meeting agendas. And if time permits, we will get to them on Tuesdays. And I just want to ask uh, the county council or county administrator just to um, respond to any of this um, procedurally or Brown Act compliant. Yes, there's the, nothing in the Brown Act precludes your board from noticing um, topical updates on your agenda. And if we don't, you know, as you know, you routinely continue items or pull items or don't take items. So there's nothing that precludes us from not taking these items if time doesn't permit or, or some other reason that you choose not to hear the items on the day they're, they're noticed. Um, so you are procedurally fine. And you know, what the goal is that we put the topic, you know, so we meet the Brown Act requirement and we put information on so the public knows what the topic is. And if the public has an interest in those topics, they can, you know, stay in the meeting or participate in the meeting at the time when it comes up. As you know, we cannot know for sure how long the discussion will be, how many speakers there will be or not be for, you know, each and every item on the agenda. So all items you know, all times on the agenda are estimates. They're not exact times. So these items, um, you're telling the public that we, we may get to them, we may not get to them, um, but that they'll be there so that as time permits, you can um, talk about them. And if the public is interested in those items, they should tune in. I would just add, as you noted, um, President Miley, that these are informational items and in fact, um, one of the items, um, the all-in program overview, was actually on your special meeting agenda last week, and we did not have time to get to it, and so it was continued um, until today. Uh, and there had also been an earlier request on the waterfront ballpark project. Okay. So once again, I would just alert the public that you'll see on the board agenda informational items um, as time permits. And if you don't see anything listed, then we won't be taking anything up, even if time permits. But otherwise, you'll see these items, and if time permits, we'll be taking those up uh, at our regular meetings when we have them uh, on Tuesdays. And, and then with these informational items, the public can, um, can um, we'll, we'll be having public comment on each, of the, on each item uh, as well when we take them up. So the first information item today, 116, is the Oakland Waterfront our Oakland Waterfront Ballpark uh, update. And I see that the Auditor Comptroller has joined us. So maybe, uh, Melissa, are you going to be kicking us off on this? Sure, yeah. Okay. So uh, again, I'm Melissa Wilk, the Auditor Controller Clerk Recorder. Um, I'm going to provide a brief update on the status of the cities and the county's ongoing meetings regarding the Oakland Waterfront Ballpark Enhanced Infrastructure Financing District, or EIFD. The city uh, and the county have been holding regularly scheduled meetings. Uh, recently, those meetings have been postponed or canceled due to scheduling conflicts and or lack of substantive updates. 
to share as the city and the A's continue to engage in ongoing negotiations regarding the EIFD, um, as well as the infrastructure financing plan. Uh, the consultants Kaiser Marston for the county and Century Urban for the city continue to meet as needed to share information. Kaiser Marston, uh, the county's consultant, submitted a preliminary draft yesterday of the peer review of assessment of fiscal impacts to Alameda County of the Waterfront Ballpark District. Uh, after initial review, some additional analysis has been requested. Uh, however, until the city shares a draft infrastructure financing plan with the county or we receive additional details from the, the city, uh, we will not be able to provide any firm or final numbers surrounding the project. And we will continue to work with the city. Uh, the consultants will continue to work together and we can provide any additional updates as they become available. So we're kind of in a holding pattern at this point. Any uh, any board questions or comments from any of the supervisors? Uh, Carson? Yes. Yeah. So, so when was the the uh, last time our board took up this item um, for update or anything else officially? What was the date? I don't have the date. I can go back and look. As I recall, there was an update provided last fall, but I would have to check that. Uh, and I believe that was provided by Debbie Kern from Kaiser Marston. So I can pull that date. And, and, and that, um, at that time, um, was that informational and update or did we take an action uh, at that last time that we had a discussion? And I just can't recall if we took an action, what that action was. I believe it was informational. And again, I'll, I'll go back and look. I remember it was over at the training center. So I can go back and look. My well, recollection. That I was just going to say, my recollection is the last um, action uh, that your board took was you know, to direct staff to retain um, consultants to represent us and to continue to work with the city. And you know, that's been done, as uh, the auditor mentioned. Uh, your board approved a contract uh, with the outside consultant, and I believe the last report or two that we gave was uh, an update on those discussions. Okay, so um, I'm just trying to recall since I, I didn't know this was going to be on, I didn't focus on it. Um, the, the city is still the lead and the principal in this. Um, and, and where where things are 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 we co-equal in that? I know that they that the that the board um, it wasn't unanimous because I didn't support it, but took an action to participate. But uh, again, who, who technically at this point are we co-equal, or is this the lead? Are, are we the lead? As far as I'm aware, the city has taken the lead on the negotiation with the A's. Okay. So we, we, we sit at each and all of those negotiations or we periodically are part of those negotiations. So every time the, the, the city has an official meeting with the A's or their representatives, are we in those meetings or are we 
asked to be at those meetings or co-equal in those meetings or, or, or do we just have kind of scheduled quarterly meetings that, that they update everybody? We have scheduled uh, biweekly meetings where they provide us with updates on their negotiations. Okay. And um, since you have biweekly meetings and those, and we're not sure when they started, it's hard for me to get a sense of what has been substantial movement on the part of the negotiations. Is there a way to kind of get a sense of what has happened in the last year? Because it seems like it's been a, a whole year to me. Maybe it hasn't been. that uh, The meetings have been going on and I haven't seen that much in the newspapers, but since there's some negotiations taking place, uh, is there any anything that can out outline what has been movement, if any, or the focal points of the discussions or something that lets me know that other than the meetings being scheduled, there's how you're measuring progress or how you're spending your time in those meetings representing the county. So uh, primarily the meetings have been to review the analysis that was conducted by the um, consultant hired by the city um, the county then hired our own consultant to review the financial analysis that's been provided by the city. So our consultant has been working closely with them to review the numbers and the projections. And over time, um, that information has changed as the negotiations have progressed. So it's uh, the numbers uh, and the information, as I said, continues to change as the negotiations and terms are discussed. Um, I don't believe there is a final approved term sheet between the city and the A's and that they're continuing to review the EIFD as well as the infrastructure financing plan, which would govern um, what would be funded within the EIFD. Okay. And there doesn't seem to be an end date for them to continue to gather this information um, because originally when, uh, at, at the time period in which the board was asked to weigh in and make some decision, mm -hmm. which again has been more than a year ago. Correct. Um, at least in the press, it was that it was desperate for us to make a decision at that point in time, uh, that our decision at that point in time would have a major, major, major impact on whether or not the A's would continue negotiation or stay or not stay. And again, just reading media reports, they kept, the media kept highlighting some magical date that had to take place, um, which I think might've been before the end of last year, uh, unless I'm misunderstanding or misreading kind of what has been coming out in the media. And I'm only talking about the media approach at this point. Um, but that media approach to me, it, it more than a year extended towards this emergency time frame in which things had to be made known by the county of Alameda. And that's why I was wondering, are we key stakeholders? Are we a part of these negotiations? Are we updated about the negotiation? Because it made it sound as though we were so critical to it that if our critical being participation and our dollar participation 
would have meant that we would be at the table all times discussing the amount of dollars we may be advancing on this project. And that was my understanding too. I think the intent was to come to some final agreement by the end of last calendar year, and I don't believe that's happened. Okay, and then uh, I, I respect everybody's super busy because they priorities keep changing with all the things we've been going to the last year. But you said that there's been a number of meetings that have been canceled or rescheduled. Correct. In the last, uh, especially prior to the holidays and after, um, there's either been a scheduling conflict or the city continues to negotiate with the A's and had no new substantive information to provide within the meetings. And just, just so go on the record, was, was there any of these cancellations or rescheduling that was clearly due to the county? No. Holding that? just wanted to go on record about that. Um, since we, oh, more than a year, took an action on something that was uh, expressed publicly as time sensitive. Were you finished, Supervisor Carson? Yeah, uh -huh, thank you. Okay, yeah, I just want to um, state that it does seem like this has been just lingering on. It's my, suspicion that because of the election you know Oakland had um, council races and a mayoral race uh, particularly mayoral race and that concluded in November um, that maybe there was some lack of attention to to the waterfront um, uh, ballpark um, project so hopefully with the elections behind us and the new administration in place there'll be picking this ball up and running with it. I don't even um, think the city's got a new or an interim city administrator mm -hmm. at this point in time. Um, just for the benefit of of uh, the board and of the public, I know the county administrator and I, I in my capacity as um, board president, uh, we're, we're trying to set up a time to meet with the mayor and the council president um, to discuss uh, priority matters uh, at the moment. I'm sure this will be one of those items, but I can't provide with um, anyone with any sense of intelligence in terms of what's going on. I do know from having at least a brief conversation with the Oakland A's, Dave Cavill, a number of months ago, um, they thought maybe things had been held up because of the election, but they were hoping things would, would begin to pick up again. So we're hopefully, um, if... If um, the county administrator and I get a chance to meet with the mayor and the city administrator and the council president, we might be able to provide a little bit more information around mm -hmm. uh, the city's time frame and where things are going and the processes. Because um, as, as Supervisor Carson um, pointed out, the county has not been the cause of any uh, tardiness around this. And um, a, a, a number of us from the board uh, supported the uh, enhanced infrastructure financing district. We just haven't. Uh, we 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 supported it in um, um, concept, uh, but we haven't supported it in terms of actual entering to an agreement because we don't have um, the the specificity of that just yet. So I think that I just wanted to provide some of that 
information based on my speculation and what little I know at, at this point in time. But, um, but we do want to see how we can be supportive of moving us along if that is indeed the desire of the, of the city of Oakland. Um, Supervisor Halbert. If you could help um, explain, because I think it's becoming a little more clearer, that the relationship between the city of Oakland and the A's term sheet and our involvement, because I'm trying to understand is there, if you could outline the anticipated process moving forward, is it that we won't know the answers to the questions that we might have to decide upon until after that term sheet is signed and agreed upon between the A's and the city of Oakland? Or I feel what I'm hearing some people say is that we're a, we need to be a part of that. They can't finish that term sheet until we make a decision. We have a what comes first, chicken or the egg scenario. So which, what is, uh, now that we've had a lot of meetings, some been canceled, but we've had some discussion with them, is it, is it our belief that the process will be that that term sheet gets done before we get the information we need, meaning you and Karsten Mar Kar Marston, the consultant, and then it will come to us? Is that... Just to be clear, that's the process that we're anticipating, or is it the other way around, or we don't know? So previously, um, there is a term sheet. It was not binding, as far as I'm aware, that was discussed and shared between the A's and the city. However, I don't think they've come to an agreement on the terms within that term sheet, Um what would happen is the IFP, the Infrastructure Financing Plan, needs to be approved by the, um, I think it's the, the PFA, the Public Financing Authority, which would be a makeup of our board as well as the city. Um, and so what we're waiting for is a copy. They're working on a draft IFP. It would not be finalized without our input, but it would at least outline the project, the project areas, what's expected to be funded, um, at this point, we don't have a description of the project areas. We don't know the parcel numbers affected by the, the project areas. So there's a lot of unknowns, um, which is making it a little bit of a challenge to um, define the costs and the revenues related to these projects and this EIFD. So that's the ongoing negotiation between, as far as I'm aware, between the city and the A's. Um, but they plan to share that draft IFP, which should lay out a lot more of the detail for us. Have they had any indication as to when they will be able to get back on track uh, uh, with the scheduling, given the new administration and now that holidays are over? I don't have an update, mm -hmm. no. And, and, and I haven't heard of any definitive timeline. I know the intent was to have it done before the end of this mm -hmm. calendar year, um, and I've not heard an updated uh, time frame since then. To reiterate my uh, colleagues' points earlier, none of the delay is on us. No meetings have been canceled because of us. There's nothing that we could be providing that would uh, further this along or hasten this. This is um, the timing that we're under is out of our hands at this point. 
And I think that's pretty clear. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. Okay. Yes, and, and I have to say the consultants uh, that are working for both the city and the county have been very proactive and have been working together. So I do think that when there is some um, substantive information from the city and the A's, we'll be ready to move forward with that because I think that they're both well prepared to work together. Excellent. Thank you very much. I look forward to that time sooner rather than later, but not in our control. Thank you. Agreed. Any other comments from staff at the moment? If no, co no further comments from staff at this time, uh, we'll see if there are any, any public speakers on this item, and speakers will get uh, two minutes. No speakers. No public speakers on this item? Okay. All right, let's go to the next item. There's this item plus 117, um, all-in yes. program overview. It, uh, this is an uh, update and an overview of the all-in program um, that was scheduled on your for your board special meeting, and we did not have time to complete it. And it was, you know, it's largely to provide background and to bring your board up to date on the current status. You'll recall that. Um, the initial uh, program, which was um, uh, came out of District 3, was actually part of, um, in a single budget unit, um, and that with your board's action last year, uh, we transferred certain functions to other county departments, to health care and social services, um, as well as um, reaffirmed that the food hub programs were managed through the uh, Deputy Sheriff's Athletic, I mean, Activities League. So we wanted to just give you an update today and provide uh, background information. And so Pete Coletto from my office is going to um, has put together the presentation, and that's you know been in collaboration with the other county departments as well. Good. Uh, thank you, Susan. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Pete Coletto with the county administrator's office uh, here to present the all-in update. Um, so. Uh, all the genesis of all in was really um, a resolution your board passed in January 2014 to create a new war on poverty, uh, which was a precursor to all in, which was established by resolution in June of 2017 as a multi-stakeholder collaborative to eliminate poverty within the county. In 2018, all in merged with the ICPC and became a business unit that sat within the CAO. And then since 2018, the All-In Business Unit has really been kind of a policy incubator and a coordinating entity, um, which has provided a collaborative platform for the launch of numerous programs, including All-In Eats, um, some place-based strategies, and some children, youth, and family programs. So uh, currently, the All-In Business Unit, uh, it was moved in beginning July 2022. Uh, so the all-in business unit, kind of what I would call core all-in, moved to the social services agency. Uh, the recipe for health program was formalized within the healthcare services agency, and staff associated with recipe for health were moved from all-in to the healthcare services agency. Um, there's a total net county cost of over $500,000 in the fiscal year 23 budget. And uh, as Susan had mentioned, the All in Eats programs, which we'll talk more about in, in a couple minutes, were formalized in DSAL. 
Um, so th this just really shows that budget transfer. So um, it, you know, it was within the one business unit within the county administrator's office. Uh, three staff were transferred to SSA along with uh, associated budget. Um, the recipe for health program was moved over to healthcare services agency, as well as um, one all-in staff who had been working on youth homelessness. And then all-in eats continues to reside in D South. So, Pete, I have a question. Yeah, uh, if I have, if it's okay, Mr. President. Oh yes, go right ahead. Yeah. Um, so the the original um, all eat all in budget was how much, and wh what was the origin of the original all in budget? Yeah. So the original all in budget was uh, had a, appropriations of uh, under one and a half million dollars. Uh, revenues of just under a million dollars. Um, those revenues came from grants. Um, there was funding from other county agents, both healthcare and social services, provided some base funding support. And then your board uh, provided a little over half a million dollars of county general fund to support all in. And was that supposed to be ongoing um, revenue or was that one time? based on grants and everything was were, were those going to be reoccurring grants or what it, it was a combination um some of the grants were time limited um so it was a combination of of one time and ongoing support so i think you know healthcare and social services had provided support over a number of years as had um the county's general fund okay and then when it it, it was kind of transferred over to social service administration and healthcare agency administration, that budget at that time was how much? How much is it that they inherited? Uh, so the, the county general fund investment um, stayed the same. It got split between the two agencies. Um, so about, uh, you know, about $800,000 of appropriations went to social services. Uh, some associated revenues, about 400000 moved to social services, and then about 400000 of that county general fund went to social services. And on the health care side, uh, appropriations of about 600000 uh, moved over there, revenues of about $500,000, uh, and, and county general fund net county cost of about 100000 Thank you. But that excludes capital costs? Uh, so this is their operating budget. Okay. Thank you. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about All in Eats. So in 2020, All in Alameda County launched the All in Eats initiative to work in partnership with DSAL and other community partners to support the development of what they called a, a circular food economy in the county. Um, there were some key goals, production and distribution of locally grown fresh produce, regenerative farming and reuse of food to cut down on waste, uh, logistics support and the creation of new businesses by establishing food hubs in the county and providing employment opportunities to struggling commu communities. Uh, so your board took two actions, one in June of 2022 and the other in December of 2022 uh, formalizing and then reaffirming that formalization of the operations of All in Eats within DSAL. Um, so this is the current All in Eats 
structure. Um, you know, there's direction that's provided by the steering committee. Uh, there's some coordination uh, from kind of what I would call core all in um, in SSA. Uh, the operations are in DSAL, uh, including the food hubs, the urban farming and, and food recovery efforts. And then the recipe for health program is a program within the healthcare services agency. So the All In Eats County relationship, All In convenes community stakeholders in partnership with DSAL, uh, but those activities, those operations of All In Eats, um, those are not county programs. Those are operated by DSAL. Uh, the county's provided financial one-time support to help All In Eats build out infrastructure. Uh, so as part of the fiscal year 22 budget, the board directed staff to identify 6.8 million in one-time funding from existing resources to support the construction of food hubs and urban farms. Um, and that was contingent on DSAL uh, or All in Eats um, providing a business plan, which we'll talk about in a second. As part of the fiscal year 23 budget, the board directed social services agency and healthcare services agency to identify three and a half million dollars within existing resources to fund the development of uh, West Oakland Food Hub. And again, this was one time um, capital support. And on November, Mr. 8th, President, oh, I'm question. Yes. Um, so, so in in the all eats category, uh, the Deputy Sheriffs Association or Deputy Sheriffs League um, is 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 it kind of the um, owner of the of the program for the most part? Uh, yes, that's how I, that's how I would describe it. And then, um, so did did they did they start off with a budget and dedicated funding source for the projects that you listed? So I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, as we get to okay. the end, um, because we're okay. Oh, sorry. I'll wait. Okay. Um, and then, so on November eighth, uh, the board approved the use of. 1.3 million in District 3 fiscal management reward funding to fund capital costs for a D3 food hub. Um, the county provides annual ongoing support to DSAL uh, to support the Dig Deep Farms program. This predated All in Eats. And then again, effective July 1, 2022, all All in Eats operations exist within DSAL uh, with Recipe for Health as a separate healthcare program. And this was reaffirmed by the board on December 20th. Pete, the Dig Deep, how many years is that committed? Um, Annual? I, do you know when it started, Andrea? I don't. It's, uh, it's been every year Ongoingly? for, uh, it, it, yeah, it's about okay. 300,000 a year. And then um, it's, but it's forecast to go on into the future with no end date? Uh, I mean, it's been in the, uh, maintenance of effort budget that wow. the social services agency has submitted every year. Okay. Thank you. Uh, this is just a summary of the one-time funding that the county's provided. So again, the six, 6.8, 3.5 and 1.3. And, um, you know, again, this, so, so the social services agency has also provided operational support every year to support the dig deep farms program. 
So uh, this is a list of the food hub projects and urban farm projects. Um, so one of the food hubs, uh, the Castro Valley one up by Fairmount, uh, that's operational. Uh, the other food hubs at sites that have been identified or are in the process of being identified um, are not operational yet. Uh, we have a list of them there. And again, the county is committed uh, or has it allocated a total of up to $9.4 million in one-time capital funding uh, to support the food hubs. And on top of that, um, you know, as part of the $6.8 million that we discussed uh, as part of the fiscal year 22 budget adoption, 2.2 has been allocated to capital improvements at Ardenwood and Masonic Farms to support the urban agriculture uh, programs for all in eats. And as I mentioned previously, um, you know, one of the uh, stipulations your board put on the $6.8 million of funding was for All in Eats to produce a business plan. So in late 2021, All in Eats presented its business plan to the board, which forecasted a self-sustainable enterprise once the needed capital projects were completed. Um, since the plan was presented, some of the food hub sites that are now identified are different than um, the ones that were identified in the plan. And we, we have more data on actual operations at both the farms and the operational food hub. Um, so you know, we would really like to analyze the program as it's, it stands now to ensure sustainability. And to do that, we need the total capital budget for each of those proposed food hub sites, um, the operating costs and revenue projections for each of the proposed food hubs with the breakdown of anticipated one-time and ongoing revenues, and then the actuals. So what, what, have the, what has the actual performance been and how does that compare to what our assumptions were or what All in Eats assumptions were in their business plan? Um, so as we kind of talk about the next steps for, for All in Eats, um, the county staff would really like to meet with DSAL and talk about the total capital budget to, to build out each of those non-operational proposed food hub sites. Uh, again, those operating costs and revenue projections for each proposed hub with that breakdown between what's ongoing, what's your actual operational revenue. Uh, the actuals um, associated with Ardenwood and Masonic Farms and the actuals associated with the, the food hub that is operational. Um, so, you know, we'd like to take a look at that. We, we did this business plan, or All in Eats did this business plan. Um, they set out a path for a self-sustaining operation. They made a number of assumptions and you know, we, we wanna take a look at how has our actual performance been versus those assumptions. And um, with that, I'm uh, open to any questions. So some of the things that have been in operation for a while, I'm gonna guess would be the Castro Valley facility. Correct. Uh, which um, is, uh, is operational. Uh, the Ardenwood and Masonic Farms, do we have any idea about the status of that? Has the capital been invested? Are, are there crops growing in the ground right now yet or not? Do we have a market for them yet? Or is it still too early to tell? I thought this was about a year ago. I could be wrong. But um, to your point about reviewing actual results, Will we have actual results for the, that part of this project? 
anytime soon? Do we know? So for the farms, I, I don't know. You're correct that it's been o over a year. Um, it's been maybe over a year and a half uh, since the county contracted. May, it may even be two years since the county has contracted with um, BSAL to provide that one-time capital support for Ardenwood and Masonic. So some work has has been done. We, you know, we would want to talk with DSAL uh, to see the extent of that, as well as, you know, have they had any growing season, and how has, you know, those how have those crop sales compared to what you what they originally thought? How have those operating costs uh, compared to what they originally thought? So we may not have a full year of data, but we should have some preliminary data that we could discuss with them to get a sense of the financial performance. Are you um, included in the analysis? I believe there are other grants that have been made, uh, at least one federal grant, I believe by a congressman, uh, Kana, down in Fremont. So are you including one? I don't know if it, money came in yet or not, or if it just committed, but would you be including that in the analysis here? And then are there other opportunities for state or federal grants that will be part of the analysis here? Yeah, that's one of the things we want to um, discuss with DSAL. So for a lot of these capital projects, you know, we we know what the county's been asked to provide. Um, we don't necessarily know the bigger picture. Some of those things, you know, we know because we work with DSAL or we, you know, heard the announcement, for example, you know, uh, uh, Representative Kana's earmark, uh, you know, we know about that, but we don't know that total project cost or the total financing structure. And so that's another area we'd like to explore with DSAL. It may be too early, but at some point, I'm guessing that it's going to be the case, as we say the term circular economy, that the produce that is generated can likely be purchased by our facilities, hmm. hospitals, other commissary Mm, uh, things that we have around the county. Have we, uh, it's too early, I'm sure, but is it part of the plan to say that we might be a customer of this so that we can gauge its viability, how much we would want to buy, what would be the fair price of that, those goods, so that we can understand the business likelihood of this happening? Yeah, I know the, um, I know in their business plan, one of their, um, assumptions or or hopes, I guess, what would be that recipe for health, for example, would be a big customer of the produce. I think the uh, where it gets tricky is, you know, we're also for in that situation, for example, we're reimbursed by um, you know, the, what are essentially the insurance plans. And so the question then becomes, is the produce produced by our farms uh, competitive? with the produce that is out there in the market. So are we going to be able to be reimbursed for that full cost? And so I, that, that's part, part of the analysis. So it's part of that, you know, do we have a viable model? You know, as you say, we're, at, we're both a, uh, you know, we're a food, or many of our contractors are food consumers or food buyers. And so, you know, could this fit in, into that? I think we, you know, the business plan made some assumptions around that. And what we want to see is, are those assumptions 
still valid assumptions, um, you know, were three years after they conducted their analysis. Do, the, do those assumptions still hold? With regard to recipes for health, um, obviously there's meant to be some uh, positive health outcomes as a result. Do we have any indication, or is it still too early to tell? Uh, I know we've got Dr. Chen, uh, at least on the top of his mind uh, about this. Have we actually done anything in this area that we can show has been helpful, um, or is it still all kind of conceptual? Um, I'll, I'll defer to the healthcare director. I, I, I appreciate the answer. I'll just end by saying I really appreciate your eyes on this. It's a team effort, and so thank you. Keep digging in, and no pun intended there, but help us understand this for ourselves. Yep. Yes. Uh, Supervisor Colleen Chavla with the Healthcare Services Agency. Um, Dr. Chen has uh, been a nationwide leader in the uh, food as medicine um, arena, and there are several um, studies that show the improvement for, uh, on health, which is why our uh, state Medicaid program, Medi-Cal, is now covering it as a benefit through our Medicaid uh, Medi-Cal managed care plan. Um, however, that's a health um, assessment. I'm not sure the extent to which there is a cost assessment, which is, I think, the element that um, Pete is referring to. I mean, I think, you know, generally the motivation for a health plan to cover something like this is that it, it uh, avoids the uh, further cost of a person's deteriorating health, um, but that's a, that's a health plan system um, financial consideration versus a programmatic consideration. Thank you. Supervisor Carson, do you have any questions or comments? Uh, yeah, a, a few, and I appreciate it. Uh, let me underscore uh, the concept of the all-in um, Alameda. Uh, I, I support that concept, and I think that uh, uh, the structure that has been outlined, outlined um, it is um, kind of a step in the direction towards carrying out uh, the vision that we've been hearing about over the year. So let me just underscore the fact that I, I support the concept. Um, at this, at, at this point, um, the, I guess the question is, how much risk are we assuming here? And the risk is the financial risk. That's not to say that the financial risk is not worth it, um, because if we're improving people's health, uh, we're able to uh, establish micro businesses that are run and operated by residents of Alameda County, especially those who don't normally get that opportunity. Um, and if, in fact, we're able to establish um, kind of multi-generational, multi-outcomes um, in the health and also business area, I mean, we all encourage that and maybe even a deterrent in terms of some of the other areas where people find themselves and it costs us extra money. So, uh, Pete, in terms of just your uh, observation and your information that you have up to date, how much risk does it look like we're picking up and where do you see that risk? And again, that doesn't mean that we can't overcome risk as when you're investing in, in the stock market, you're taking a risk. In Bitcoin, you're taking a risk, but where do you see it? Uh, yeah, so Supervisor, um, 
you know, to date, the county has invested or has allocated or committed um, a little over $11.5 million um, to support All in Eats. And so as of now, All in Eats is, is you know, operated and, and run by DSAL. So the county's financial risk would be limited at what we have uh, committed or invested. Um, so right now that would be the, the $11.6 million. Okay. And of the $11.6 million, how much of that $11.6 million has been administrative and how much of it has been personnel? Um, so I, we would have to meet with DSAL to get a better sense of that. Uh, the, the intent um, for that $11.6 million was to go for one-time capital expenses um, to the extent that DSAL has had to, you know, pay some personnel to achieve those capital investments. Um, you, we would have to sit down and try to break that out uh, with them. You know, the 300, okay. oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the 300,000 a year of the dig deep farms um, would support, I mean, that supports some uh, administrative costs, correct? That, that would support some of the, the desal administrative costs. Okay, and then um, you don't have at this time the projected ongoing costs um, until after you've met with desal going forward uh, as um, in the current state, even as we're negotiating the different sites for possible, and we don't have any idea um, uh, what those costs are, the, the multiple things associated with those costs, uh, acquisition costs, um, construction costs, um, transportation, none of that stuff. You, you, you see kind of the current state for the next year, if it stays as is and nothing changes, what, what is that cost? Yeah, so supervisor, um, you know, as you mentioned, we don't we don't know. Um, so we don't know uh, without talking to DSAL um, what their, you know, frankly, what their operating assumptions and budgets are. Uh, we don't know the. Uh, I, I would say we don't see the whole picture on the capital projects that they're uh, that they're looking to do. Um, you know, as it stands now, the county, you know, again, the county has committed this one-time capital funding, one of the, the um, discussions we want to have about this is, is understanding, you know, is this still sustainable? What do, what do, what do uh, the financial projections look like? Um, so we can understand uh, the, these questions that you're asking a little bit better. Okay. Um, and then uh, I don't know if you can give clarity or somebody else, because I don't know if anybody from DCL officially is on, but let me ask you this. Given the structure that is being proposed to operate, it, it seems to me that at the moment, if all of these things materializes, DCL is the operator. Correct. So, um, you know, the the actions your your board has taken uh, were for all in eats to be operated by DSAL. Um, so this would be DSAL's, uh, you know, DSAL's business to run. So they would need to run it um, within those kind of ass assumptions that they made in their business plan. If they 
are to have a self-sustaining model. So the county, you know, did not take an action, or the board has not taken an action to, um, you know, fund operating deficits or anything like that. Uh, you know, the the board has taken an action to allocate the one-time capital that was requested of the county um, by all in eats because you know they laid out this plan they said we have a capital deficit once we fill that we're going to be self-sustaining um, and you know that self-sustaining enterprise is going to be operated by d south so with that structure um, there is no dependency on monies from any of our other agencies or departments see community development agency health care or social services uh, as of now, you know, the county has not taken any action to provide, you know, subsidies via other operating departments. Again, aside from the the, the annual Dig Deep Farms um, contract through the Social Services Agency. And as, and as Supervisor Halbert um, referenced earlier, I'm assuming that's an ongoing contract. That, that is an ongoing contract. And just to yeah, clarify... That, it Oh, it doesn't sunset. It, um, it's, it's been included in you know, the maintenance of effort budget from the social services agency, but it does come to your board every year for annual renewal. Okay. And then um, I, I guess the, la the last point here, um, how much of the DSAL budget up to now, since we don't know about the future, of it, how much of that has been borne by the deputy sheriff's associate, the deputy sheriff's league, singularly? Either you know, I mean, since it all is housed there, I know they've gone after the grants, but have they? Has it been the deputy sheriff's league, which has has assumed total responsibility for all of the uh, over the cost of operations, including personnel? Uh, yes. I believe so. Yes, uh, you know it's not being operated via the county; it's being operated via DSAL. Um, so, to the to the best of my knowledge, they're the ones bearing all the costs. They're the ones doing the fundraising um, to pay for the associated costs. I, I believe there's also a contribution to DSAL from the sheriff's office for activities in the unincorporated area, and uh, potentially for some staff as well. But again, we don't have that, um, their budget information. Yeah, I, I should clarify. I'm talking about just the all the eats portion of it, not the other desal activities. Um, the all eats part. Okay. And um, and we, we don't have anybody from desal on. There might be uh, in the audience. I'm not sure. Okay. So, uh, President Carson? Yes. Did you finish your questions? Yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. I, I, I just didn't know if there was anybody in the, from DSAL because I'm looking remotely and I can't see. We can see when we open up to the public. I don't know. Okay. And, and, okay, we'll, we'll call her and we'll get to the public. The, um, the all in eats uh, structure. It says as of July 2022, this is February 2023. I thought there was going to be a bylaws change and this whole structure 
is this, I don't think the structure is an accurate depiction of what I think the, because I think All In Eats is not part of All In. It's its own separate entity under DSAL. So um, the bylaw by changes have not been made. Um, at the latter part of last year, um, I believe the Public Protection Committee, one of, one of your board committees, um, I think it was a committee that you and Supervisor Brown sat on, um, had discussions about making uh, bylaw changes, and I know that those changes kept evolving. So no changes have been made to the bylaws um, recently to incorporate a change structure. And I don't believe that as the bylaws existed that All In Eats was a separate um, entity. My understanding is that the All In Steering Committee was the, or the All, All In Committee was the overarching body under, per the bylaws. Um, and then the bylaws did not address all of the sub-programs that All In had. So those changes haven't been made. So I think that um, when there's some direction um, about what your board wants to do with those bylaws, then the, you know, sort of where you land, the final changes can be made. So I'll just um, add, so the, that uh, chart you're, you're referring to, uh, supervisor, where it has all in it, eats on the top, and then the different things. Uh, the intent there was to show uh, the different uh, relationships between the different entities that have participated in the all in eats program. So it was to the intent there was to show that you know they're getting direction from from the steering committee, they're getting coordination support from SSA. Those operations are in DSAL. And whereas before recipe for health was included in all in, it's now in healthcare. That that was the intent. Okay, thank you. All right. So it's my it's my understanding, having talked with former supervisor Brown before his term ended, that we were waiting for county council to conclude with a with a, with the bylaws, so that, that could be brought forward to the board and. The bylaws would show a transition of all in going into social services, um, all in the recipe for health being part of the healthcare services agency, and all in eats would be uh, with DSAL, that the steering committee would become an advisory committee, that there'd be um, the social services agency uh, would be the, would would absorb the all-in staff, and that um, the direction for all-in would be coming through the social services committee with one of the supervisors from the social services committee serving on the uh, all-in steering committee, which would be advisory, which would be um, appointed by um, the board of supervisors, but also have designated uh, positions. Uh, that's generally my recollection. So if county council is waiting for direction, do you need to get direction from, who do you need to get direction from to bring this forward? Whoever's going to do the board letter. Oh, I see. Okay. I mean, it, so I can take direction from the board, but the question is who's going to do with Supervisor Brown's departure, who's going to do the board letter to um, bring forward a request that these bylaws be amended this way. 
I see. Know, we, we will be, you know, we will draft what we understand. I guess at this point, your goal would be, but somebody needs to bring a board letter requ requesting these changes. So, President Miley, I think, and that's, I think, specific to the governance change that you mentioned in terms of the board committee, the advisory committee. Um, I think the other things that you mentioned that may require updates to the bylaws are based on actions that your board's already taken that we can work with county council on. For example, your board, you know, took an action to transfer the program and the positions um, to health care and social services. So your board's taken that action. In December, your board also adopted a resolution establishing All In Eats as an initiative of the county and also in that resolution reaffirming that the program of All In Eats are formalized and operated by the Alameda County Deputy Sheriff's Activities League in coordination with other community partners. So a lot of that, those actions have been taken by your board. The bylaws may need to be updated to reflect those actions. And then I think you're also um, recommending a governance change that would need to um, be brought forward. Okay. <clears throat> okay. I didn't realize there was, uh, you were waiting for direction on this. Okay. All right, any other, uh, anything else from staff on this update at the moment? I think we wanted to provide, you know, the overview and, and also to um, be sure your board, you know, understood that while there's been a significant county investment um, in capital, I think we do need um, to have the discussions um, with DSAL about the program um, to get updates since that initial business plan was presented to your board in late uh, 2021 because as Pete mentioned, you know, some of the food hub sites have changed and we don't have the total costs of all the food hubs. What we know, and I think there's been some, you know, great progress made in terms of identifying other funding, including I understand there are a couple of, you know, federal earmarks. We don't have that money yet, but there's, there's some, you know, earmarks. So we know that there's pieces of funding from the county and potentially from other sources. What we don't know is what the total cost of each of those food hubs is. Um, so that's, you know, one piece. And then also the operations. Uh, going forward and then once again we need to bring forward the the bylaws and as we understand it all in eats is part of desal correct okay and desal is its own separate nonprofit it's a, it's a non-profit and they, and they run independent and, okay and so what you're saying is the staff needs to meet with DSAL to get f further clarification on the, on the all food hubs. Needs, on the All in Eats program and budget, yeah. yes. Okay. And that's separate and apart from the governance associated with the transition of All in, the All in initiative to right. social this services. Right, really focused on the All in Eats portion of the larger All in um, program. And I, I may need to have additional conversations um, to when I begin the drafting of the bylaw amendments to, to, to have clarity, but I'll work with the county administrator's office to achieve that in terms of, you know, existing bylaws and, and how to spell things out because of obviously I, if memory serves me in the existing bylaws, there's no reference to DSAL. They're not, you know, they're not part of it. And when those bylaws were drafted, there really was no all in eats and all, you know, food as medicine and all of those things. So I just need to go back, um, as you know, 
and you probably don't want to hear, you know, we've been short-staffed, so we have not, this project has not risen to the top of our plates, but um, I do have some information, but we'll work as this continues to evolve, and we'll try to incorporate what I understand the goal is, um, but I'll work with the county administrator in terms of clarifying any areas of ambiguity when I begin the actual drafting. Okay, Supervisor Howard. Just one last question. The um, all-in steering committee, who comprises that committee? Do we know? It's a large body. I believe it's 34 or 36 individuals that are, you know, now part of an official board committee, if you will. And I think that's the governance change um, that's being, you know, recommended is to really bifurcate that and have that larger group be a, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding that, but have that larger group be an all-in advisory committee um, that would be chaired by one of the members of the Board of Supervisors Social Services Committee and that, you know, all in from the county's perspective would report through your board social services committee. And all it. That's in, more clear. Yes, and, and all in does not comprise recipe for health nor the food hub. So all it would be, there's an, there would be an advisory committee, if you will, as opposed to a separate board committee. Okay. For all in. Very good. Thank you. Um, Mr. President, I Carson, have a couple yeah. of yeah, so um, for one, I, I, I don't want to thank uh, Supervisor Halbert for raising that question. I, I would like to get a current copy of the, the, the board because I don't personally know who's on the board. And one of the reasons I'm saying that is um, I, I guess the concept is to serve all of our, all of Alameda County, which means all five of our districts, right? And I would just like to know a composition of the board in terms of how how the all-in serves the, the composition of the county. You just like to revisit that. Um, can provide that information on the current composition. Yeah, I appreciate it. And whatever the governance structure is about adjusting that to, to some extent, since there appears to be a lot, a potential for a lot more investment in this uh, area, um, just want to make sure that there's uh, representative uh, representation on the decision-making board. Um, the, the, the other thing, and this came to me yesterday in a separate discussion um, um, with a couple of our department heads, and that that is, you know, um, these are all great projects, and, I, and I'm, again, fully behind the projects. I'm not questioning that. But when um, I look at the status of those projects, uh, architectural concept for the Livermore, looking for a location uh, for District 3, which is the host committee for this whole all-in, uh, waiting confirmation for location for West Oakland, lease negotiations ongoing, East Oakland, Arroyo, Vijo, working with city uh, on zoning in Newark Fire Station, and lease negotiations on uh, Stack Center Hayward, uh, again, supporting all of that, um, it will be a long time before most of this is realized, before it actually is operational and turning, um, hopefully, a, a return 
on multi-levels, not just a financial return, but a health return and a community engagement return. And, and, and as we are looking at it, and again, conceptually, I'm totally supportive of it. Um, you know, when I heard yesterday is that at least on the discussion we had yesterday, it might be a two to three to four year period before uh, a facility is that we may have is operational. And so um, the lag time from concept to operational, less known, um, being financially rewarding, just we just need to make sure that as we look at the business plan, we scope that all in in a realistic sense to the extent that we can, um, and especially in terms of what might be the cost, because uh, going into the future, the cost will continue to escalate like it does with any programmatic or um, building-related um, endeavor. All right, I'm going to ask the clerk if um, if Hillary Bass could be um, promoted to panelists because Hillary can provide additional information on on um, DSL. But I want to ask Andrea Ford. Now, it's my understanding the all-in staff are now in the Social Services Agency. You want to come to the mic? So the all-in all is limited to their staff and they have an all-in as an entity is limited in its function. It doesn't deal with recipe for health nor the food hubs. That's correct, supervisor. The all-in staff get their supervision through social services. I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? The all-in staff are supervised through social services. Yes. Okay. And then what we want to try to get done is to get the bylaws amended so that all in as an, as an initiative, and the all in steering committee um, come under basically the auspices of social services and the social services committee. That's generally what we're attempting to do, and that's and that is a different component from recipe for health and a different component from the food hubs. Yes. Okay. All right. Th thanks. Just wanted to clarify. Clarify that. That's my understanding. All right. And then we just need to. Yes. It, you're correct. I mean, there's a there's three staff that are in social services, you know, doing policy, if you will. There's the recipe for health staff and the youth advisory board that are with health care. And health. then there's all in eats that is with DSAL. Right. So health has got the recipe for health. They've got their, the staff there, the food hubs and DSAL, and then social services has all in. Okay. Um, and the and I'm just trying to kind of lay this out conceptually because um, I'm, I'm working from, to the best of my ability based on what Supervisor Brown had kind of relayed to me over time and what I understand has happened and uh, what I um, understand to be the um, the uh, path forward. And this is kind of our first update on this. So what I'd like to do. If Hillary Bass, if if um, Hillary is the executive director for DSAL, maybe Hillary can help provide additional um, information relative to DSAL and all in needs. Sure. Hi. Thank you for uh, inviting me to speak. Um, I uh, these are great questions that were raised, and um, our team is actually 
almost done with a full presentation that I think will answer the majority of the questions that have been brought up today related to all of the updates for um, what's happening on the, basically for all of the investments, what's happening in the production side, what's happening in the current Castro Valley uh, Food Hub um, operationally, as well as financially, and um, what's happening with the pre-development phases for each of the um, upcoming food hubs that have been identified in relationship to exactly what you said, uh, Supervisor Carson, the more actual, um, more, better, uh, we've gotten a lot more understanding at this stage because of going into some pre-development and design um, processes as to what those real costs will be for development, um, what funds have been allocated from other sources and on top of the uh, county funding, where we expect to fill any balances that are needed to be filled, and what the anticipated business model will be for ongoing operations once opened, um, and who the partners will be in each of those scenarios. So there's a lot of elements to report back on. I would uh, venture to say that by the end of this week, this presentation will be ready for uh, prime time. And I very much look forward to the opportunity to um, sharing that presentation with the, with the board and anyone who's interested in hearing the answers to those um, really relevant questions. If there is a specific question that I should answer right now, I'm also more than happy to do that. There are a lot that were, came up, so I'm not sure which one I should focus on. Any, any Supervisor Halbert or, or Carson, anybody have any questions for Hillary? The one question I would say, Hillary, DCEL is responsible for all in each. Correct. And um, to, to the question around liability, um, it, that's absolutely accurate. DCEL holds the liability for um, making it work per the, well, per the updated business plan. Um, so these initial investments are to create a, a countywide circular food economy that DSAL is holding the responsibility for implementing and reporting back to you how it's going. And, and not only the utilization of the funds, but also as Supervisor Carson brought up, the other types of return on investment that we ex anticipate related to economic development outcomes, um, climate impacts, uh, public safety impacts, health impacts, uh, obviously in partnership with Dr. Chen and healthcare services as that, that data gets uh, put together. Um, and uh, what else? Food insecurity, things like that. So we, we'll be reporting out on all of those um, metrics and also um, for the uh, important guidance from Andrea Ford um, to include the results-based account results results-based accountability metrics that we have committed to social services to measure, uh, that will all be incorporated in the this presentation. And All In Eats as a, a program that's operated by DSAL is not, um, has no really, I don't want to say no relationship, but is not obligated to the All In Steering Committee. Um, not, no, not per se, but um, it is, I think, incredibly important that the All-In Steering Committee's um, perspectives of how to continue to invest in ultimately eliminating poverty, that All-In Eats is responsive to, in, in any way it can be through this food system, um, if there's more it can do 
um, per the advice of the steering committee, I think that's an important thing for it for us to be able to adapt to and take guidance from. But not sort of, I think, structurally. Okay. Supervisor Halbert. No, um, Hillary, thank you for joining the call uh, today. Uh, it's exciting to hear that you're making progress and probably by the end of the week uh, have uh, completed analysis. Let's schedule time next week with my staff and uh, go take a deep dive. Thank you. That would be great. Look forward to it. And... Um, all in, in all in eats just happens to have the name all in. It, it doesn't have to be called all in eats, right? I mean, well, we have labeled all of our trucks, <laughs> um, but we, you know, we did that in on purpose to really pay homage to Supervisor Chan uh, at that time, and it's very much um, an outgrowth of the of her support for seeing the synergy between establishing this scaled up circular food economy and addressing all in's original goals around ending poverty. Mm -hmm. So it's an homage to her. Yeah. But I'm just trying to conceptually make it easy for folks to kind of understand the distinctions here. Because all in yes. eats as a program of desal is, is, I mean, you have a board, you have your own board, right? And you're and for desal is a 501c3 and it's your board. Oversees your um, governance. That's correct. And you might collaborate and get advice and other things from many stakeholders, including the All-In Steering Committee. But it's ultimately um, the the, the um, DSAL board and and um, and I guess yourself as the executive director that have the responsibility for the All-In Eats. Um, um, a program which includes the food hubs and and the, um, uh, the um, urban farm, et cetera. Yes. Okay. All right, and then I guess so. You'll be. Um, and I think Pete mentioned that uh, staff is interested in talking with. I'm assuming it'd probably be yourself to get further clarification get these updates and you said you're going to have things worked out as well hopefully within the week or so so and then supervisor halbert yes. uh he wants to get a little bit more into this the weeds on this i guess so this will i guess will be coming back to us for some uh, for a more um informative update and, and then yes. also come back to us with the um with with the, the all in bylaws I have a question, uh, President uh, Miley. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate your last line of, of questions to get clarity. Um, given the fact that this is a kind of an independent um, structure, meaning D, run through DSAL, which is the Deputy Sheriff's League, um, the majority of the facilities are in um each of our districts, right? And um, so I, I'm just trying to figure out where there's an intersection of the board members and the ability um, around the the facility and the actions in in their in their district, right? 
because this is somewhat independent. It's not necessarily like all in where you have a board of directors that is inclusive of some somebody, some representation or um, an extension of the board office. And so when you, whenever you get back, I mean, uh, back before us, kind of the, the intersection of the board of supervisors, the activity going on in their own district and what their rights or non-rights are or abilities of, um, I don't wanna say alignment with it, but I mean, it seems like it's independent working in, in each of our districts without us having um, an official legal say-so. I think that's a really um, important point. And I don't, I don't know how it's above my pay grade of how that structurally gets crafted. And you're right that DCEL is its own entity. However, um, all of this work was designed to be impactful as a countywide strategy that is intended to be in deep partnership with um, with your offices and the partners and stakeholders within your districts. And I'm personally functioning from that place and, and honoring that way of doing business. But I think you are accurate completely in that it's not sort of codified in, in, in any way. So, so, I mean, Supervisor Halbert could do a, as much of a deep dive as he wants, but technically, DCEL is an independent organization and it can, you know, out of respect for Supervisor Halbert, consider or not consider his deep dive and suggestions, I guess. I, I would never say no to that. I would welcome that uh, from everybody. And I forgot to add that um, uh, I'm working closely with Andrea Ford to be part of the presentation on the end of this month to the social services committee uh, where this presentation will in fact be uh, the one getting uh, presented. All right, uh, thank you Hillary. Do we have any other public speakers on this item? There are no speakers. Right, this is anything else on this informational update? Uh, nothing else. Okay, so I think that concludes the board uh, uh, agendized items for today. So we will now go to public input on non agenda items. President Miley, I just wanted to give the board um, an update because the auditor did confirm that the last. Um, update uh, with regard to the waterfront ballpark project from our consultants was back in June of last year. June 14th Thank you. of 2022. So just for the record. Okay, so the last update from the consultants is June of last year. June 14th, 2022. Okay. All right. So as I said, that concludes the items agendized for today. So we're now to uh, public input. If you wish to speak on matters within the board's jurisdiction, but not on today's agenda, you may do so at this time. 
Do we have any speakers? There are no speakers. Okay. Hearing no, having no speakers, the, the board meeting for February 7th is adjourned. Just as a reminder, your next regular meeting is not until February 28th. Thank <laughs> you.